Amen. That's what it's all about, right? Okay, three of us agree that's what it's all about. The rest of y'all are thinking about it or something, huh? That's incredible. Amen? All right. Hey, it's okay to be enthusiastic in church. You do it at ball games all the time, so feel free to jump right in. Boy, I tell you, I never tire of hearing of the transforming power of God's love in a person's heart. Uh, that just blesses me uh, to hear her testimony, to realize there's so many good things in her testimony that I hope we'll take to heart and consider for ourselves. I need to say thank you to Pastor James for allowing me this honor and privilege to be here <clears throat> today. Most of y'all don't know me, and that's probably a good thing. I grew up here in Niceville, graduated from Niceville High School way back when it was just a cardboard box. No, I'm kidding, but <laughs> a long time ago. And uh, my wife, Becky, and I are from here. We live in Crestview now, and I have to be honest in saying to you, for all you listening in Crestview, it's hard to live in Crestview and have grown up in Niceville. But anyway, that's a whole other sermon. Uh, but we fell in love with James and Chrissy and their family and just... Uh, Got to know them and have seen them grow so much and just so proud of what God is doing in their lives and your lives together for his glory in this community and it's a wonderful thing to see. This worship team blessed me today. I like Justin. Justin's a great guy, but I'll tell you what, they did a good job, didn't they, huh? Yeah, I think we ought to thank them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I overlooked a group in the first service. That there's guys that sit up in the, on the shelf up there and uh, they, they control this thing and all the lights in the place and everything. And nobody ever says, hey, guys, way to go up there. Good job. But they really do a great job as well. I appreciate them so much. If you brought a Bible, let's open it to Hebrews chapter 3. In um, talking with James about being here today, I said, is there anything specific or any direction you want me to preach? And he said, no, you let the Lord lead. And I said, okay. Well, I, I do have a, a, a message on my heart that I believe is for our churches. He mentioned I serve this region, the Panhandle Central Time Zone, basically, of Florida, uh, a little over 350, 375 churches that I serve and uh, have the privilege of working with those pastors. And one of the things that I, I've noticed is, and, and this is probably a great title, but <laughs> there it is, Idle or Urgent. Uh, I was trying to think, I really want us to think a little bit about the urgency of the gospel, the urgency of the day, the, day, the urgency of the opportunities that God gives us from Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to just introduce this idea from something I read. Recently, I read a quote from an organizational psychologist, a guy named Dr. Ben Hardy, who, who made this statement. He said, you don't have a sense of urgency towards your time and purpose. And then he said four reasons. One, you're not clear on what you want. Two, you don't believe you can control the outcome or timeline. Three, you don't know if you can succeed. <laughs> Boy, I can relate. And number four then says, you don't believe it's extremely important and timely. And that last, that last statement he made, man, it dragged me to this question. And I want you to think about it with me this morning. Do we believe the gospel is extremely important and timely? Hmm. That's a... That's a that's a serious question. Do you believe, and forget about we for just a minute, just do you believe the gospel is extremely important and timely? It's relative to today. It's right where we live. Uh, you guys have been studying in Mark chapter 13. I believe James ended last week in Mark chapter 13. 
and, and where Jesus ended his teaching on the last days in, in Mark 13 with this phrase. He says in Mark 13 and verse 37, what I say to you, I say to all. Look what he said, two words, stay awake. <laughs> he wasn't talking about in church. I mean, that helps. <laughs> but really, he was saying in our lives every day, stay awake, be alert. And we're going to talk about that a little further. He goes on in verse 35, actually 37 was a reference back to what he said in verse 35 where he made this statement. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come. If you don't know when the master of the house will come, wouldn't you think that would lend us toward urgency? Urgency. Living with urgency. Many people in our culture seem to think, oh, that's plenty of time. I got plenty of time to get my life right. I got plenty of time to keep my house or get my house in order. And then there's this other group that they don't even give a thought to eternity or anything spiritual or anything and those are concerns of mine but my greater concern is this i'm concerned about church members who seem to have no passion no purpose or urgency in their faith we're the ones that claim to know him <laughs> we say we know jesus where's our urge let's just quit criticizing the world and just look internally a minute Where's our passion? Where's our purpose? Where's our urgency? Too many in our churches seem to have fallen asleep in regards to the urgency of the gospel. Well, that was a warm, friendly welcome, Lewis. Thank you. I just think it's real, y'all. It's real. So in our text, the writer of Hebrews challenges us, Jesus' followers, with these words. Let's look at it in, in Hebrews 3 and verse 12 is where I'll begin reading. He says in verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Now, he's talking to believers. <laughs> Did you catch this? Take care, what? Brothers, <laughs> lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So from these three verses, three admonitions, they are be aware, be encouraged, and be faithful. <laughs> Let me talk about that first one. Be aware. Verse 12. One more time. Look at it. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of, uh, of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. The writer warns us to guard our hearts. Now, he's not just talking about the blood-pumping muscle in our chest. And when he used that word hearts, he means the whole of who we are, our heart, our mind, our soul, our spirit, our actions, our attitudes, our words, and our witness, everything about us. He says, take care, guard your hearts. It's easy to get diverted, distracted, and even deluded in our faith and gradually move toward what he calls an unbelieving heart. Here you are, brothers, fellow followers of Jesus, and if we're not careful, we get diverted away or distracted by something else or even discouraged maybe and move toward this unbelieving heart. One writer described this unbelieving heart this way. He said, unbelief finds its actions in disobedience. Mm -hmm. Or stated another way, we begin 
when we doubt or are distracted to dabble in disobedience. Well, I'm way over here across, halfway across the world. Ain't nobody here from the church. Ain't nobody going to see me. Or it doesn't even have to be that far away. I'm just here in my little pickup truck right by myself in the parking lot. I'm just going to dabble in disobedience a minute. Nobody will see me. And we, we start developing this unbelieving heart, this practice of unbelieving heart. D disobedience finds opportunity when we become distracted by things that take precedence over the disciplines that keep us connected to our Heavenly Father. And it results in our falling away from the living God. So the understanding of the words that's used to describe falling away, are not, they're not passive words. No, they are words of rather deliberate disobedience. I remember working with teenagers 100 years ago when I started in ministry. And I'd ask them, name for me, if you will, one sin you never intended to commit. And they'd say, oh, there, no. We, no. Right? The sins we commit are deliberate. When we realize them and feel the conviction of them in our lives as believers, as people with the Holy Spirit living in us, hopefully it moves us toward confessing those sins, asking God to forgive our sins. And the good news is 1 John 1, 9, I'm freelancing, guys. Just hang on, I'll get back to the text here. But in 1 John 1, 9, he says, if we will confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to clean us up, make us like brand new. So when you feel the conviction of sin, don't go beating yourself up. Just realize you got a heavenly father that's saying, hey, Lewis, hey, whoo, hey, you know, you're out of line, right? And confess it to him. You're right. You are God. You are holy. I am not. I need you, Father. And he forgives you. You don't have to continue with an unbelieving heart. I thought about this idea of deliberate disobedience. And you've probably read some of the reports and things of different Southern Baptist leaders who've chosen directions of deliberate disobedience. Mm. Deliberate disobedience. And it's interesting to me that the results of that disobedience have been devastating to a lot of people. A lot of people. A lot of people. I'm just going to tell you, my phone rang off the hook when some of these reports came out. Pastors, different church leaders saying things to me like this. Listen to this. I can't believe they did that. How could they do that? I would never do something like that. <laughs> really? You'd never do something like that. Sounds kind of judgmental, doesn't it? The writer of Hebrews reminds us, be aware. Be aware. Pay attention. Be alert. Would you look at the person sitting next to you and say, you are not my enemy? I want to watch some kids say that to their parents, right? <laughs> you are not my enemy, right? We have an enemy, but it's not each other. Now, I know sometimes we act like we're enemies, and that's not good either. But the enemy we have is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to crush you. He wants to destroy. That testimony we saw, he doesn't want you to give a testimony like that because that brings praise and glory and honor to Jesus, and he's not in favor of that. So realize, realize we must all be aware. Why? Because we have an enemy who wants to cause you to fall, to fall away into this unbelieving heart of disobedience. 
Even the wisest man that ever lived advised us. In Proverbs 4 and verse 23, he says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. I think it was Jesus who made the statement, Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, I think you just took that wrong. Really? Or was it out of the heart, our mouth spoke without engaging love, grace, mercy that we all need? Let me go back to my originating question and tweak it just a little bit. If Is your relationship to Jesus and your family and those around you, is it extremely important and timely? Your relationships. If so, be aware. Be aware. It's a good warning. He, he's not condemning us. He's, not, he's just saying, be aware. Take care, brothers. So be aware. Second is be encouraged. Look at verse 13. But exhort one another every day. Now, how often are we to exhort one another? It's not a trick question. It's in the book, okay? You can just read it right out of the page. Every day. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. I want you to maybe just put that in brackets or lightning bolts or something or arrows pointing to as long as it is called today. There's the urgency, right? We have today urgency <laughs> that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, that we would be hardened by. It's one thing to develop or to have an unbelieving heart and begin to fall away and somebody kind of get in our face and say, hey, dude, what's going on with you? And they bring us back, right? Like, sort of like Matthew 18 encourages, if your brother's in sin, you go to him in private. And if he hears you, You've won your brother, right? He comes back into a right relationship with God and with others. But this is saying, <laughs> exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sort of like I'm digging in. All right, so I'm standing right here and I ain't moving. <laughs> wow, okay. This verse challenges us to a more positive focus for our lives and the lives of those that we relate to. We're to exhort each other every day. And the understanding there is that exhortation is reciprocal. <laughs> you know, sort of like I encourage you and you encourage me. Hey, I got one or two staying with me. You're good. All right. All right. It's, uh, Jesus, he calls that relationship, <laughs> community, being there for each other. Exhort one another every day. I did a PowerPoint presentation for somewhere I was teaching not long ago and my ministry assistant, and I had a slide on there that said, Jesus died for relationships. <laughs> She's a great lady. She's really sharp. <laughs> she said, she came to my office and said, uh, <clears throat> could I ask about something? I said, sure. She said, this, this slide here, Jesus died for relationships? She said, is that, is that in the Bible? Because I don't remember reading that anywhere in the Bible. I said, yeah, it, 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 uh, it starts in Genesis. <laughs> it goes all the way over here to the end of Revelation, right? I mean, everything about Jesus, here's the reality, and you know this to be true. <laughs> in the garden, God created us in relationship with him, and it was perfect, right? 
Adam and Eve had a perfect, sinless relationship with God. And I heard one preacher preach this message. He said, Adam, you had one job, right? Don't eat of that tree, right? And then when he did, what'd he do? Just like us guys. Lord, I wasn't eating of it, but it was that woman you gave me. <laughs> he blamed it on her. Chicken, come on, man, right? <laughs> and sin entered the camp. Sin entered man's life. And the penalty of sin was separation from God. And so knowing Adam was going to do that, when did they know Adam was going to do that? After he did it in the garden? No, no, they knew it before he ever even put breath in a lump of clay. They knew he was going to sin. And they knew they, being God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three were one up in heaven talking about this and said, we're going to have to make a way because there's Baptists in this group and they are stiff-necked. <laughs> right? <laughs> So he said, Jesus said, I'll show them how. And then I'll make the way possible. Right? Oh my gosh. I'll show them how to live a life in obedience to you. And then I'll make it possible, available to them. So they don't become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Listen, your mom and dad love you, but ain't nobody loves you like Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you more than I can even describe to you. We were created for community and accountability. Community is the part we like. You know, yeah, hey, let's barbecue. Let's go skiing. Let's do whatever, right? Community. We love community. Baptists are good at community, right? It's that accountability part we don't like. Dude. That attitude didn't sound like the mind of Christ to me. I'm just checking. I'm not judging. I'm just checking, <laughs> right? Accountability, where we help each other, where iron sharpens iron and we grow in our faith and we help each other through the difficult challenges. By the way, have y'all noticed or is it just me and Becky? Life's tough sometimes. Can I get an amen to that? Right? I mean, I all everything. Is this Easy Street Church? I probably should have asked. Maybe I've come to Easy Street Church and everything's great here. But what I've noticed about life is it's tough. It's tough, you know. Well, I thought you said if I follow Jesus, everything would be great. No, somebody lied. Life is tough. But here's what I'll tell you about Jesus. When life is tough, he is faithful, right? You go get that diagnosis, and you're like, ah, I don't want this diagnosis. I didn't like this diagnosis. I, don't, I can't handle this diagnosis. And you come through whatever treatments and all that you have to go through and everything, and you come out on the other side, and somebody says to you, well, where was Jesus through all that? And you say to them, he was right there with me every step of the way. Right? Have we not found him Faithful, And when we do, does that not encourage our faith, strengthen our faith? Then it challenges us to, hey, let's encourage one another. Let's exhort one another every day. He further communicates the urgency of the need when he uses that phrase, as long as it's called today. And I really want you to pause here and think about this one. As long as it's called today. We're to encourage each other. We're to challenge each other. We're to help each other. As long as we have today. Today is not 
a statement of indefinite life. <laughs> These opportunities are not indefinite. Somebody talks to you. How do y'all do it? I don't understand. Y'all are going through blah, blah, blah. How do you do it? God's given you today to speak, to give an opportunity of witness to someone, to encourage someone. Seems to me the understanding that the phrase it's called, as long as it's called today, not being a statement of indefiniteness would encourage our urgency. Our urgency in our walk, our urgency in our words, our urgency in our witness. Another consideration, though, I thought about of that same phrase, as long as it's called today, reminds me of this. As long as it's called today, there's still time to hear the Father's voice, right? Hey, hey you say, I'm a pretty rough but guy. You don't know how bad I am. I, mean, I had a guy tell me one time on a Native American reservation up in Montana. We were doing some mission work up there. And I said to him, he said, well, why, are you, why are you white men here? And I said, well, we're here because Jesus sent us here. Why did he send you here? I said, well, because your house needs painting and your roof needs repairing. And we have people that are willing to do it. It was teenagers. And I said, they're, they're willing to do this. I don't understand. I said, I don't really expect you to. And that's all right. I said, uh, we just really wanted you to know more than anything that God loves you. And here's what he said to me. No, God could never love me. I said, what do you mean God could never? I know he does. The Bible tells me he loves you. He loves everybody, everybody. <laughs> yeah, he could never love me. I killed too many people. I said, what? Yeah, I killed too many people. I said, I, you were in the military? Yes. I said, you fought in the war? Yeah. I killed too many people. I said, good news, God still loves you. I said, you were following commands. You were doing what your task was given to you to do by our country. That doesn't make it right or wrong or whatever. I'm just saying, God still loves you. I said, now, he will forgive you of whatever sin you feel you have in your life. I, I'm, not, I'm not in charge of determining what sin is and isn't. This is, and he is. I said, but today, if you open your life to Jesus, he will forgive your sins. He will come in and be your Savior and Lord and guide you through the remainder of his life. He's standing there with a 24-pack of beer, about to go kill all of them, right? And he said to me, no, no, I can't do that. You see, that's hardening your heart. I'm not being mean-spirited toward the man. It broke my heart. I'm, I'm honest with you. I, I got off in the corner and asked God, what did I do wrong? Why, what did I not say right? Why didn't he open his life to you? And what I was reminded of is that God's in charge of the timings. God's in charge of the response. He's the one that draws them. We must be witnesses no matter whether they receive it or they don't. We must be witnesses. So he, this phrase, as long as it is called today, again reminds us there's still time for you to hear the Father's voice. He's the one that will draw you. In chapter 4, in verse 7, 
the same writer of Hebrews says, Today, if you hear the Father's voice, or if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. See, the writer is urging a response to the grace of God that's offered through Jesus. That's what I was trying to extend to this gentleman, was the grace of God that I had discovered. <laughs> I, I don't have all the answers, but the ones that I do and I know to be true, I'm going to share with you. And here's what I know. God loves you wherever you are, at whatever place you are in your life, and he wants to have relationship with you. But here's what also I know about him. He won't force himself on you. And see, that's how I know he's God and I'm not, because I would. I'd say, you're going to get right or get out. You know, and that's not God. He's just not that way. He's saying, I love you. I want you to have relationship with me. I want you to grow in that relationship and be a witness of me. But I'm, I'm calling you today. Will you listen today for the Father's voice? That final phrase that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin is again a reminder. Our exhortation can have a strengthening effect on each other in our relationships and in our community. And it can help us avoid the deceitfulness of sin when we exhort each other. When we, when we give in to the deceitfulness of sin, it has a damaging impact on those relationships. Dr. Paul Ellingsworth, in his comments on this verse, said the notion of sin throughout the epistle is connected to disbelief and disobedience. You know, I think about the relationship of God and me and you and your kids. What do parents want from their kids more than anything? Uh, it, there's one word, but what the one word means is just do what I ask. Right? The one word is obedience. If I say to you, go mow the yard... I don't mean form a committee and study what mowing a yard looks like and then decide, you know, how long it'll take you and how much gas we need and all, you know. No, just go pull the stream, start mowing, right? It's obedience. It's simple. We understand it in relation to our kids, and yet when it comes to us and God, and he says, all I want from you, all I expect from you is obedience. Obedience to what? This word. But the deceitfulness of sin is all around us. So when we begin to disbelieve and fall away from our faith, we become disobedient. We become unconcerned about how our actions impact others. And when we become unconcerned about how our actions impact others, relationships suffer. You heard it in the testimony, right? We'd gone halfway around the world gotten all the way from all my friends and church and all those folks. And things weren't great at home. Things weren't great with our kids. Community and unity begin to be lost when we dabble with disobedience in the church. <laughs> and some of you still might be convinced that, well, you know, my actions, they don't really impact that many. Nobody knows what I do. Well, Hebrews 12 and verse 15 reminds us, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. How do you obtain the grace of God? It's like a Christmas gift. How do you obtain a Christmas gift? You receive it, right? The grace of God is extended to you. What do you mean grace of God? Well, see, if it wasn't for God's grace, we would all bust hell wide open. Living in our disobedience and rebellion, 
That's the path we were on. And when Jesus said, hey, wait, there's a better way. There's a narrow gate. There's a narrow path. But I want you to follow me in obedience. That was the grace of God extended to you, to me. And when we choose that, we begin to realize, wow, God, how much you love us. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Did you hear that? He's still talking to the church. No root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by that many people become defiled. Oh, yes, that's right. Your actions do impact everyone you relate to. I mean, not in this church, but in other churches where I go, every now and then I hear about a Sunday school class, and, and during the Sunday school hour, or the life group hour, excuse me, whatever they call it, <laughs> they had roast preacher for Sunday school, right? Well, you know, Brother James said up there in that sermon this morning, what I heard him say was, and here we go, well, that ain't half of it. I saw him the other day, and here we go, right? Oh, my gosh. And we begin to tear up and devour and destroy and tear down, and, and our disbelief, our our deceitfulness of sin becomes a root of bitterness it causes trouble and many become defiled wow Lewis this is really negative I'm just giving a warning (laughs) just saying hey it can happen to any of us so we must be aware we must be encouragers (laughs) as we do life in God's family be an encourager and be encouraged right and the last one I want us to see in verse 14 be faithful Be faithful, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That's not like a futuristic promise that's sort of based on our good behavior. It's rather a declaration of confident faith, of confident confession, and a confident conviction in the sufficient work that Jesus has done in our life. Are you confident of that? That Jesus is at work in your life? We used to sing an old hymn like that. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought. Has a wonderful change in your life been wrought? What was the reason for that? I can't remember the rest of the hymn. Since Jesus came in. That's right. Jesus came into my life. You know, I meet some people every now and then. They'll say, yeah, I say back in 1976. Awesome. What's life with the Lord been like since? Ah, well, I go to church. Okay, what else? I tip God when the plate goes by. I was asking, like, in your daily life, how are you growing? What have you experienced? You know, what's been your experience with following Jesus? I go to church. Friend, I want you to know Jesus wants more for you than to come to the clubhouse. This is good. It's good to gather. In fact, we're challenged and encouraged in this very same book to gather. But wow, he wants more for your life than just some story from some point in history, and that's the end of it. It's an ongoing, everyday, living for Jesus relationship. We're confident in his sufficient work to grow us, to change us, to mold us, to help us hold our original confidence firm to the end. Paul David Tripp in his book, Lead, wrote this. He said, between the already of our conversion and the not yet of our homegoing, God has already given us everything we need 
to be what we're supposed to be and to do what we're supposed to do. We have everything we need. I run into people every now and then that say to me, well, you know, I'd be a witness, Brother Lewis, but I don't really know what to say. <laughs> I understand that. I know it's a real fear. You know, how do we bring up this subject of eternity or talking to somebody about walking with Jesus? So I said, well, what if we just use John 3.16? Any of y'all know John 3.16? Can I get a hand raised? It's a Baptist church. I know it's unawkward to raise our hand. <laughs> But really and truly, God so loved everybody that he didn't send a committee, right? God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that if you'd believe in him, you will not perish. You will have instead everlasting life starting today and into eternity, right? And for me, it was a Thursday night in 1971. Doug Newton was preaching a youth service over at Trinity United Methodist Church on Racetrack Road in Fort Walton Beach. I heard the gospel. I understood the gospel. I didn't even realize it. From way back over there, God drew me to himself. I was born again that night. I started a faith journey of following Jesus. And I'd love to tell you, boy, woo, it's only been up and up. Not in my life. I ran. I did crazy stuff. I was up and down, roller coaster, right? But what did I, what have I learned as of today? Here it is. As of today, I've learned he is faithful. When I forsook him, he never forsook me. When I was unfaithful to him, he never was unfaithful to me. When I didn't trust him, he kept giving me guidance, right? I don't have any regret. If there's one thing in life I can say to you, I'm absolutely certain of, I'm certain I'm glad I followed Jesus. I'm certain I'm glad I married Becky too, but that's besides the point. <laughs> oh, friend, listen. We're to be faithful in our testimony of whose we are and whose we'll be faithfully to the end. Jesus identifies those in Christ in these ways. He said, if anyone would come after me, this is uh, Luke 9 and verse 23. Let him deny himself. Oh, man, that's a hard one. <laughs> Just stop right there, right? Let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily. What does that mean? What was the cross for Jesus? Was it, wasn't it egoless obedience? That's what the cross was. Total surrender, egoless obedience. He prayed that in the garden before he went to the cross, didn't he? Lord, if there's, Father, if there's any way this cup could pass from me, nevertheless, not my will. There's the egoless part. I don't insist on having it my way. Instead, I trust you. And he went to the cross for you and for me. Uh, then again in Mark 13 and verse 13, he says, to the one who endures to the end. Now, the assumption in verse 14 is that there's been a point in your life when you received an original confidence in Jesus, meaning there's been a time in your life where by grace through faith in Jesus you were born again. Here's how the writer of Hebrews describes this confidence we're to have to the end in Jesus. He describes it in Hebrews 6, verses 11 and 12. He says, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope. How long? Until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit 
the promises. What promises? What has Jesus, what is, okay, okay, this is interaction time, all right? Wake him up, say, honey, wake up. He's going to ask us a question, okay. all right? What is one promise from God that you're standing on or sitting on? <laughs> I hope you'll stand later. But what is one promise from God that you're holding on to? Ready, go. <laughs> Thank you, eternal life. What is one promise from God that you're holding on to? Healing. Oh, we don't believe that. We're Baptists. Yeah, we do. You know when we believe in healing? <laughs> when we're sick. <laughs> oh, yeah, we pray. God, straight up, heal me right now. Pour oil on me. Do whatever you need to heal me. Yeah, healing. Amen, sister, whoever said that. Yeah. Somebody else. What's a promise from God you're standing on? He'll never leave us or forsake us. You can't even say that about people you know. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. Somebody else, one promise? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Oh, well, I don't need that. Yeah, right? I just need it for that, right? Forgiveness. What I love about Jesus' forgiveness, the Bible says he cast our sins as far as east is from west. You notice he didn't say north or south? Because if you get in a plane headed east, <laughs> Where do you run into west? <laughs> you don't, you just come around the other side. You're still going east. Okay, turn around. You turn, go west. <laughs> Where do you run into east? See, they're gone. They're forgotten. And when we commit a sin and we ask God for forgiveness, and as this brother said, he heals or forgives us. <laughs> and then we go back to our prayer closet and say, Lord, you know, that, that sin. And he says to us, what sin? See, he's forgotten it. And we keep bringing it back up. That's part of the problem we struggle with in having joy and confidence in the sufficient work of Jesus. One last exhortation to faithfulness is seen in chapter 10 where the writer says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. We, we confess our living hope in Jesus Christ without wavering for he who promised Jesus, these promises you just heard, he is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another. Boy, there's the Baptist verse right there, isn't it? I'm so glad the verse doesn't stop there because we know how to stir up one another, right? <laughs> but look what it says, to love and good works, right? We're to encourage each other, exhort one another, and not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more. As you see, there it is again, that phrase, the day drawing near you've been given today we've been given today let's be faithful these passages all of these different ones i referred to they call us to be faithful to our salvation that we receive from jesus the saving the forgiveness the relationship the reconciliation of a relationship with jesus faithful to our daily disciplines of following jesus meaning do you do you make time to meet you know <laughs> i'm amazed with some of these guys i meet in churches i mean not here but other places where i go they know more all about the sports what's going on in the sports world they know all about what's going on in the news world they know what's going on all out in the military world but they don't know what's going on in god's world we didn't make time to check in with him each morning Oh, I don't miss Sports Center. It's just my Bible. Okay, there's nothing wrong with Sports Center. Don't put it over this book. Don't put it over God's plan for your life. That's what I mean by the daily disciplines. 
<laughs> we need to be faithful to encourage each other to love and good works, as the writer says, and faithful to gospel conversations with those around us. Have you tried? I mean, I'm just asking. You don't have to answer like you would. <laughs> but have you tried to have a gospel conversation with somebody? Have you tried to talk to somebody about your faith in Christ and why they would need Jesus? Let me ask you another way. Do you really think Jesus could meet your friend's need that has such a big need? I remember one sweet little lady came to a pastor friend of mine and said, you know, brother so-and-so, he said, she said, I, I don't want to bother God with my little stuff. You know, he's got such big problems and all to deal with across the world. So I just don't bother him. He said, sister, go ahead and risk it. Think, you, think to yourself, which problem in our world is too big for God? Because if there's a problem in our world that's too big for God, then our God's too small, right? This God created, he stepped, <laughs> I heard this preacher this week say, he stepped out on nothing and grabbed a handful of nothing and said, let there be light, let there be people, let there be earth, let there be sky, let there be, right? Out of nothing. <laughs> yeah, God can handle whatever our problems are. Let's, let's attempt gospel conversations with those around us. We learn this kind of faithfulness from Jesus, his example to us, as we're reminded in chapter 10 and verse 23, that he who promised is faithful. So the challenge is finish strong, finish faithful. But here's my question to conclude. Where does this text find you today? Where does this text find you today? Again, the stated assumption in verse 14 is there's been a point in your life where you open your life to Jesus. If you've never had that experience, I want to take you back to the words of chapter 4 and verse 7 where it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. What does that mean? It means open your life to him. Trust him. That's really what it boils down to. Trust him. Will you trust Jesus? He's calling you to be saved. And church, we live in a culture that's looking for a Christ-honoring consistency and urgency. So if that's true, let's determine to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let's tell the good news to those that we encounter each day. Let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So in other words, let's love each other not only just with our words, but also with our actions. And let's not neglect meeting together. Let's continue to engage in this community of life groups or D groups or whatever community opportunities are involved here. So I want to ask you to just let's conclude by bowing our heads. Right there where you are, I have two questions I want to ask you to consider, and let's just do an internal eva evaluation. You do it for you because you can't do it for anyone else. Internally, think about your own life, your own heart. First question, would you describe your relationship to Jesus as idle or urgent? I can't answer that. You have to answer that. It's your question. Would you describe your relationship to Jesus as idle or urgent? My second question is this. Would you be willing to admit I don't have a relationship with Jesus today, but I want to? But I want to. 
Today, if you'll listen for Jesus' voice calling you to salvation, he will forgive your sin, as my brother down here testified. And he'll give you a confident faith relationship to walk in. We must live with urgency as long as it is called today. Father, hear our prayers. Hear the heart's cries of all of these here today. I don't know where they're at. You do, and they do. But Lord, I know that you love them right where they are. And you would help them to become who you'd have them to be if by grace, through faith, they would trust you. So Lord Jesus, we ask you to draw to yourself today those who would be saved. Right from where they are. Help them to just admit like we've all had to do, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus, I trust you. Lord, there's some of us in the church who've been idling for too long. We need some urgency in our life. Help us to realize the gift of today that we might indeed make the most of this day by encouraging one another but also sharing the gospel, engaging in gospel conversations, living our walk and our witness as followers of you, growing and learning and still becoming who you'd have us to be. Spirit of God, you're in this place. Would you move on hearts and lives to accomplish your will and your purpose for your glory? Now stand with me if you would with your heads bowed, eyes closed, and let's allow God to just draw us Draw us into his presence. Draw us into salvation. Maybe just draw us to this altar here to bring whatever burdens we have to the Lord. Would you listen for the Father's voice and step out in obedience to him? This altar's open. You come, you pray. I'll be here. Pastor James will be here. We'd love to talk with you further about following Jesus. As we sing, you come.